Welcome to Pound the Rock. We are here for the second time this week. A lot of, a lot of pounding of the rock this week. They say there are no back-to-backs in the playoffs, and yet here we are. Yeah. Not for us. Not for us. I'm Joseph Cacharo, joined in studio by fellow co-host, as always, Joe Wolfon. What up? Uh, we're going to do something a little different today. We've already talked about the result of the West Finals. We've already broken down what's happened in the East Finals so far. You can find that latest episode where you find our podcast. Um, but today we're going to do a couple things. First, we're going to talk about the best players of the playoffs so far. Kind of almost think of it like if the NBA had an NHL-style MVP of the playoffs instead of just a finals MVP. Looking at players that way, we're going to look back at players that we predicted would be the best players in the playoffs and maybe some that have fallen short, some that have over-exceeded our expectations. And then we're going to finish this episode with a 10-minute chat with Mina Masood, he's the star of the new live-action Aladdin. He's actually a Toronto boy, so he's a big Raptors fan. We're going to chat a little bit with him about his Raptors fandom, the current Raptors playoff run, some fun stuff from him. He's also going to make his pitch to Kawhi to remain a Raptors. You can hear all that at the end of the podcast, but first, Joe, let's get right into it. Let's talk about the MVPs of the playoffs so far. Hit me. Uh, I just want to say before we start, actually, I, I think it would be really cool if the NBA did flip to like a Con Smythe style playoff MVP award rather than just a finals MVP. I I feel like that's just so much more representative of what we actually see every year. Like, why are we just boiling it down to one series when, you know, we're not giving full credit to the guys who basically allowed a team to get to the finals? It just seems a little bizarre. Yeah. Also, if there's ever, if they ever go to that system, guys like Iguodala are never winning a a finals MVP again, which is right. fine. I'm just, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Iguodala should have won that finals MVP anyway, but I think, I mean, you could definitely say that, yeah, Steph Curry probably would have a playoff MVP under his belt by now if that had been the case. But to your point, I didn't make hard distinctions the way that we did, you know, before the playoffs started, we did our top 16 rankings. I, I couldn't make those kind of hard distinctions. So I had three tiers basically that made up 16 players. And in my tier one, I feel like this is pretty much indisputable. I had Kawhi, KD, Giannis, and Steph. You know, you can quibble over whatever separation you might think there is between those four guys. Obviously, KD's missed a bunch of time. Steph was playing quite poorly before KD got injured, but then really redeemed himself with that Blazer series. And Giannis has just been pretty steady throughout. I I think they've all have a case for, for having been the best player in the playoffs so far. And I don't think anybody else has been even close to any of those four guys. I will say this, though. If we're going to include KD, which I, I agree that we should because he's been that good. If we're going to include KD, who hasn't played since the middle of the second round, then should we also include guys like Nikola Jokic and maybe even James Harden, who it didn't end the way they wanted it to, but for those two rounds, they were phenomenal. We can include them. I think Jokic is closer to Harden than like to being in that group. Harden, I think, was very, very good at certain points, especially the first couple of games of that Jazz series was just transcendent. He had a couple outstanding moments against the Warriors, games three and four, leveling that series up. But ultimately, I just don't think he's been on the level of these guys when, when those four have been at their best. And... Uh, I think he's at like 56% true shooting in the playoffs, which is obviously like well below, you know, his norm. And I don't want to say that he faded, but I think just the way that that series finished has to be a little bit disappointing for him. And as well as he played to get them to that point, I don't think he exactly saved his best basketball for last. Uh, Jokic, 
Jokic has a case. He really was that good in getting the Nuggets past the Spurs, in get, you know getting them to Game 7 against the Blazers. And really, like the Nuggets should have won that series, especially with the way that he played. I think the reason they didn't is because the supporting cast kind of let him down in the end. But ultimately, I had those guys in my tier too. Yeah, Nikola Jokic's first career playoffs finishes with averages of 25 points, 13 rebounds, 8 assists, a steal, and a block on 51-39-85 shooting in 14 games. They went the distance both series. And the thing that, you know, I think people were really worried about, first of all, you know, his first postseason and nobody ever quite knows how that's going to go. You know, somebody steps onto the big stage like that, is it going to affect him? Is is the the changing sort of dynamic of play going to reveal flaws in his game that you didn't see before? And I think the big thing with Jokic was like, was he going to be exposed defensively? And I don't really think that that happened at all. Like, there were points where he looked a little bit vulnerable, just as he had in the regular season, but he wasn't any more attackable in the playoffs than he was during the year. He just he kept doing the same things. I thought, you know, using his hands basically to protect against his not particularly fast feet, uh, coming up really high in the pick and roll, being extremely smart positionally, getting a lot of help on the back end, but more or less being exactly where he needed to be. And offensively, I mean, you know, anything that you could say that he might have given back defensively, which I don't even think he did. Like, I think you could say that on balance, he was basically average defensively. And offensively was easily what easily one of the five best players in the playoffs so yep. far right so um an incredible playoff debut for him has to give the nuggets organization and their fans just a ton of optimism moving forward that you know if there was any concern that he wasn't going to be a 16 game player i think he dispelled those pretty emphatically yeah and you hit it on the head by saying it's, it's promising for the nuggets going forward because here's what the nuggets and nuggets fans now know they've got a young superstar not a star a young superstar who is Good enough that if he has healthy regular seasons, he's going to be on the fringe of the MVP conversations every year, and he's a now a proven playoff performer who's also going to be that level of player, if not even better, when the bright lights come on in, in April, May, and hopefully June one day. They've got it. They've got what every franchise wants. They've right. got a transcendent-type superstar that looks like a playoff performer, too. And I think he's one of those players where they have so many options of the kind of roster that they can build around him. If they think that they need a traditional point guard to steady their offense a little bit when things get tight, which I think you could argue at moments they they missed having a guy like that, you know, that's fine. Like, you can use Jokic more as a traditional big. You can have him bulldoze guys in the post. You can use him as a screener in the pick and roll. But you can also basically use him as your point guard and surround him with a more unconventional roster. Guys who don't necessarily need to be ace ball handlers, but are basically just good cutters and good spot-up shooters and guys who can defend, which is basically the roster that they have now. And I think despite the fact that there were some weaknesses exposed and those guys didn't shoot especially well throughout the postseason, like I think the roster around him fits quite nicely and you know, with a couple bounces going their way, a, a few more shots going down, they're in the conference finals. You know, I, I think, and those guys around him are all pretty young too. Gary Harris, I thought, had a great postseason. Jamal Murray was up and down, but on the whole, pretty good. I, I think even with the roster that they have, they're going to be in pretty good shape moving forward. And I, I just think 
his versatility and the number of different things that he can do offensively give them so many options as far as team building is concerned. Yeah, agreed. So I'd say this, going away from Jokic and back to just kind of the, the whole MVP talk. I think two players in, in this postseason have been in a tier of their own, if we're doing it by tiers, in a class of their own, and that's Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. But then when you consider the fact that Kevin Durant's missed now almost half the playoffs and the Warriors have, have thrived without him, to me, Kawhi's in a class of his own. Honest to God. Like, what above he, Giannis. Above Giannis. Yeah, I don't even think it's a question that he's above Giannis in this postseason. Not overall, but in this postseason. Okay, why? can do everything Giannis does, except can also That's not shoot. true. That's not true. He can't do everything Giannis does. He, okay, cannot, sorry. he can't get to the... You know what? You're right. He can't get to the rim at will the way Giannis does, but he can also shut down a player like Giannis in a way that Giannis maybe could, but maybe can't if he also has to shoulder the load on the other end. I know, but he's not individually shutting down Giannis, right? Like, he is obviously doing a great job as the initial defender at the point of attack to slow him down and allow the help to come and maybe allow the Raptors to send a little bit less help than they would otherwise, making their recoveries and rotations easier. But he's not just shutting Giannis down himself. And He's not shutting him down himself, but the difference between Kawhi Leonard being the first point of well, attack in a defensive standpoint, the first point of attack versus Pascal Siakam, who's a great defender being the first point of attack, or Danny Green being the first point of attack. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Is, is very large. And the difference as seeing Giannis go from looking like MVP Giannis when one of those other guys is the first point of attack to looking like, as uh, Amin Hassan from ESPN tweeted yesterday, locked up like a discount version of Harry Houdini or something. Like he's... Kawhi has made him look foolish at times on the offensive end. And no one, not a single soul on the basketball planet has done that to Giannis this year. Okay, I think... A lot of those points are are well considered. To say that he's made Giannis look foolish, I think, is definitely an overstatement. And I think, and look at Game Three. Yeah, no, Game Three points on like twenty three possessions. Absolutely, he had a he had a bad game, and he was he was only okay by his standards in Game Four. But I I think if you take his body of work in the playoffs as a whole, like I, I think he's been right there. And I'm talking about what he's done at both ends of the floor, like what he did to the Celtics and basically every non-Al Horford Celtics defender was just cruel. He utterly destroyed them. And even against the Raptors, I mean, the Raptors finally had a good offensive game in in game 4, but they'd had some really really poor offensive performances in the first 3 games and Giannis was as big a part of that as anybody. He like completely shut down the paint, just like he did against Boston, just like he he did against Detroit. And I feel like maybe the fact that Detroit sort of wasn't without Blake Griffin, wasn't really a playoff team. Yeah, he beat a 12 seed in the first round. T- takes a little bit of shine off of it, but I just think you're you're maybe selling him a little bit short. And to say that Kawhi can do everything that Giannis can do, I think is slightly disingenuous because Kawhi cannot power through like three or four defenders and just dunk at the rim. He, he is not the same... He doesn't put the same kind of pressure on a defense, I don't think. He doesn't, but he can also do things that Giannis simply can't do if you wall off the paint. Like, if you That's true. effectively wall off the paint against Giannis, the Bucks are in trouble. You do that against Kawhi, as the Sixers actually did pretty well in the second round, right. and he still torches you because he's got this just unbelievably effortless jumper. That There was a point in the season where I was still like, no, 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 when Kawhi would raise for some of these long twos, and then a point came where you're just like, man, just take it, man. You're going to make it. Like, that... 
The guy's got a 63.3 true shooting percentage in the playoffs, and it's not like he's scoring the way Giannis does 85% of the points in the paint. Like, he's doing that while taking a good number of threes and long twos and incredibly contested shots. I just think, like I said, I think KD has been every bit as good as Kawhi in the playoffs. He just hasn't had the as big a body of work because he got hurt. But I think when you, when you look at Kawhi's done, plus the durability even though he's banged up right now I just think he's by far the MVP of the playoffs and although it maybe shouldn't matter when you're deciding who's the better player I do think things like moments matter right when you're talking about the best player in a in an MVP level and Kawhi's had moments like no one else in these playoffs and the moment of the playoffs yeah okay that's fair so so he's your number one yeah I was gonna say too because I agree with you about just how hilariously Giannis destroyed the Celtics, but what I was going to say is the one thing that was more impressive than that was the way Kawhi destroyed the Sixers in the second round. But Kawhi didn't destroy the Sixers in the second round. Kawhi survived the Sixers in the second round, and he averaged (laughs) 34.7 points. I understand, I understand, but I'm saying, like, I don't think we should necessarily give him extra credit for beating a better team in more games. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I, feel I think the Sixers were a lot better, you know, than the Celtics, g- given the fact that the, the, the degree of difficulty there, I guess you could say, was higher. At the same time, I think Giannis still took what was a pretty good Celtics team and made them look kind of embarrassing. So I don't quite know how to square that. Obviously, he didn't have a moment like Kawhi had, but he didn't need to right. because they were just running teams off of the floor. And that, you know, we can get into stuff like Kawhi's had to play more minutes. You know, he's had to carry a heavy, heavier workload for all those same reasons. And Giannis hasn't had to because, you know, the Bucks have been coasting basically until right now when they're in a 2-2 series and suddenly in a dogfight. Yeah, and the thing I want to see is, because I do think he's capable of it, is Giannis guard a guy like Kawhi? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, let me see Giannis completely shut down or come close to shutting down, really make it difficult for a guy like Kawhi while also carrying the same offensive burden he has because, you know, that's kind of what separates guys this time of year, right? That's what separates a guy like a finals MVP from a regular season MVP who maybe hasn't been there before yet. And I think what's interesting about that is, so the Bucs have had him mostly guarding Siakam. Right. And he has shut him down, to be honest, his credit. He has. And and I, I think they like having him cover other lesser shooting threats so that he can be a rover. And he is incredibly disruptive, shuts down the paint, and it is really effective in that role. I'm curious to see, like, if they just stick him on Kawhi and decide, you know what, we're not going to help because they have been sending so many extra bodies at Kawhi and we finally saw it burn them in game four. If they want to guard him straight up, maybe they stick Giannis on him and it's like we're not going to have Giannis as a helper, but we're also not going to have to send help at Kawhi. Maybe that takes everybody else out of the game. We trust Giannis to slow down Kawhi enough that we still win that matchup. Um, I'm curious to see that. And maybe, you know, this debate that we're having gets settled in the next two or three games. It'd be really fun to watch that too. I mean, as much as we talk about how fun, you know, ball movement is and and aesthetically pleasing basketball is, like you're telling me it wouldn't be fun just to get one game of like a mano a mano, one-on-one. Let's just have them play one-on-one to decide the series. (laughs) I think there's people that would like to watch that. Yeah. Um, Um, And as you were saying, I mean, we can, like Durant, Obviously, in, in that Clippers series was just out of this world um, and was playing fantastic against the Rockets as well before he suffered that injury. So um, he, he deserves a ton of credit just for, again, like the rest of the Warriors were kind of struggling. You know, Steph was 
not looking like himself uh, and was dealing with some injuries and, and Katie absolutely carried them. So he's right up there. And, and I put Steph in this category just because as weirdly off as he looked at times in that Rocket series, that Blazer series was so transcendent. And I, I just had to give him credit. I mean, you go, you know, play a conference final without ostensibly your number one offensive option and Steph steps up and plays the way that he did, closes it out with a mammoth triple-double in game four. You get the sweep. Uh, I think he belongs in that conversation. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And one guy we haven't mentioned yet, I'm hoping he's in your second tier, is CJ McCollum. I, McCollum was in my third tier, wow. and I actually I had Lillard ahead of him. Even though, wow. Yeah. I, I, McCollum was fantastic. And again, like uh, if we want to look back at our pre-playoff rankings, he wasn't in our top 16 which proved to be an oversight. I think but he had I, the biggest glow up these playoffs between him and Jokic, maybe Draymond. <laughs> but Draymond, oh, I don't mean glow up from like the regular. Oh, season you just to, mean from like what he'd done to that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, people forget like McCollum was actually very good in the playoffs last year. He was like he was, the only yeah. Blazer who him and Aminu were the only Blazers who actually played well in that sweep. And he bore the brunt of it, I think, undeservedly, because it was really Lillard who, who had a tough series, and that was the reason they got swept. But I think even when Lillard started to tail off and to fade, whether because of you know his workload or his, his shot abandoned him at the wrong time or because of that injury that he apparently suffered in Game 2 against the Warriors, I just think he was still so impactful. And the way that he dealt with extra defensive pressure, I thought was really impressive. He was always making the right decision with the ball, did an incredible job dealing with traps, splitting double teams, making the right decisions, finding open teammates, hitting guys with pocket passes on the roll. Like I, I was just impressed with, impressed with his all-around play. And even if it wasn't quite reflected in the numbers, I think on the whole, he was still a, a more efficient scorer than McCollum was. And you, know, you want to talk about moments and whether that can elevate one guy above another. I mean, McCollum had that game seven against Denver, so that's a nice moment right there. But, I, you know, it doesn't touch that Lillard 50-piece in game five against the Thunder, which was obviously capped by that series-winning, sidestepping 37-foot bomb. Yeah, I thought Lillard was the Blazers' best player, as expected, in the first round. But I really thought in the second and third rounds, like CJ was kind of carrying them in it. I don't even think that's... A, a knock on Dame because I don't think Dame was bad in these playoffs he had a couple rough games in the West Finals I just think it's a testament to how good CJ was and again maybe just still an underappreciated star maybe a guy still hasn't made an all-star team I believe definitely didn't make it this year and you know that's the kind of guy like if you just went to a best 24 format say for the all-stars or expand it to 28 or whatever it is like CJ McCollum's an all-star I think he proved that you know at least from a talent perspective and if he's not that just speaks to the absolute golden age of star talent that we're in right now. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm looking at the numbers now. McCollum's true shooting percentage in the playoffs, 52.7. Wow, so that's like slightly below league average. Yeah. I think it's uh, it might be slightly above average for his position because I know— I think it's maybe like around average yeah. for his position. Like yeah. it's higher for bigs than it is for right. guards, but even then it's below average. And, I, you know, he's going against some tough defenses— and obviously having to deal with the Warriors is a big challenge. Even the Nuggets, who you don't think of as being an elite defense, their their guards are... And they know, are a good defense. Between Torrey Craig and Gary Harris, like, it's a lot to deal with. It's really, like, it's his free throw rate that kind of drags it down, and also the fact that, like, so many of his jumpers are mid-rangers and not three-pointers, whereas Dame obviously has he shoots a much larger share of, of his shots from behind the arc. 
So that sort of drags down his efficiency, and it's like he has these moments where he looks unstoppable, and definitely some moments where he did carry them offensively. But on the whole, you look at it, and it's, I don't know, it's just not as impressive as you might have expected. Yeah, no, I, I understand that, because it is true. It CJ's postseason, I think, was more eyeballs than, than maybe substance mm-hmm. uh, when you started digging into it. But... It, <laughs> He deserves a ton of credit because there were times when Lillard was exhausted. And he had to carry them. And wasn't really moving without the ball, was getting face guarded, and, you know, defense was basically keying in on him and was like, we'll make anyone else beat us. And McCollum took all of that pressure off of him, was able to basically take on lead ball handling duties and do a wonderful job with it. So I do think he deserves a lot of credit, which is why he was in my third tier, but I still think that Lillard was better. Who are you going next? So I can tell you my tier two. I had Jokic, I had Harden, um, I had Embiid, who, again, the numbers won't really show it, but he was just a monster. When he was on the court. When he was on the court. uh, Defensively, just so intimidating. And, um, you know, everything that he played through. And, and like, obviously the Sixers don't get to where they got to without him playing the way that he played. He had an on-off net rating of, like, plus a million. Plus, I, I think it was plus 69. Oh. I, that could have convinced me it was actually a million. But. No, that was that was a split. They were 69 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. So he deserves to be in there. And I actually had Draymond in my second tier. I think he's actually he's uh, been that good. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, and he was in our honorable mentions when we did that top 16 before the playoffs. And even that, it felt like a stretch just given how disappointing his regular season had been. I think we put him there basically because we've seen, especially last year, just how turbocharged he was going to become in the playoffs. I don't think I expected him to drop 23 pounds and suddenly be like the fastest guy on the court, but um, here we are. He, he has been unbelievable at both ends of the floor and, you know, as big a reason as any as they completed that sweep over the Blazers. Yeah, I was going to say too, the fact that he was in our honorable mentions to me isn't a slight or doesn't show that we were like way off on him because he's been so good. To me, if anything, it's the opposite. It shows the respect that we actually had for playoff Draymond and for the gear we knew he still could get to because based on his performance in the regular season, he had no business being in you know talks for a top 16 player left standing when the playoffs started. Right. And yet we still did see him as maybe one of those guys. And he's proven why because... There, there are certain guys, and it was Draymond's quote, right, about... 16-game players. Exactly, 82-game players and 16-game players. He has proven over and over and over again he's a 16-game player, and over and over and over again that when the stakes are at their absolute highest, whether it's the finals, the conference finals, you don't have to worry about Draymond. You might have to worry about him punching someone in the nuts and getting suspended, <laughs> but in terms of... It's all part of the experience. Yeah, exactly. In terms of showing up and being ready and playing his best, you do not ever have to worry or question Draymond Green. Yeah, and I think... Ultimately, that quote and his the way that he has embodied it and lived up to it is going to be his legacy. Yeah, like he has just been so instrumental to every single one of these playoff runs, and I think you know there are times you could even say that he's gone underappreciated for it. But I think this postseason he's really come to the forefront. So, um, yeah, happy to see him playing this well again. Yeah, for sure. And like I've said so many times, man. It, for a guy that's not really like an offensive player, I know he's an offensive genius in the way he can orchestrate it, but he's not a scorer per se. For a guy that isn't a scorer, it's tough to think of many guys more fun to watch when they're rolling than Draymond Green just because of the energy, the trolling, uh, the feuding, 
the just everything, man. Like the way he's in his teammates' faces, like in a positive reinforcement way. Just right. Everything though, and you know, this is a guy that's getting as jacked up and as animated as for, Drake, as Drake on the sideline, right? But for for throwing a lob pass, uh, you know, operating a pick and roll in a four on three situation, as he is for taking a charge or a block, like just it's so fun to watch when he's rolling like this. Yeah. Another thing is this is something that Zach Lowe has pointed out, which I think is totally on point. Um, his ability to handle those one on two situations when he's guarding the pick and roll to basically stunt toward the ball handler. Juke them into throwing that lob pass, which he's already backpedaling toward to break up. Like, it's wild how sort of predatory he is in those situations. How many of those lobs he's able to break up. His ability to guard two players at once is just, you know, basically unparalleled. I think maybe Rudy Gobert is the only guy who can kind of come close to matching it. But, you know, even Gobert, he can't really come out as high as Draymond does, cover as much ground as quickly as Draymond has. So... You know, he, to me, has easily been the best defensive player in the playoffs so far. Him or Giannis, I suppose. And and, and Embiid is maybe in that conversation. But um, And you talk about him not being a scorer. He kind of became a bit of a scorer in that Blazers series. Like, he was looking for his own offense more than I've seen him do in a while. And really looking to push the pace off of misses and even off of some makes. Going coast to coast. Finishing at the rim better than I've seen him do in a couple of years. Knocking down some threes, finally. It's just uh, it's just wild how quickly he went from what he was in the regular season to what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Talking about the best defensive players, and you mentioned Joel Embiid. So I obviously agree he was fantastic defensively, and it's very clear that the Sixers needed him. When you look at the on-off numbers, they're ridiculous. But I also think that speaks a little more to the Sixers' roster construction and the fact they have zero other capable big men. Because I'll be honest, I thought Joel Embiid was disappointing in the playoffs overall. Again, fully giving him credit for what he did defensively. But look, man, you're the face of a franchise and you're a dominant physical presence. I get that you were hurt and I get that you were sick. And no, I, I'm not faulting him for those things. But again, you know, we're talking about a guy like Kawhi Leonard and what he's doing while banged up and other players that have stepped up. When you are as valuable to a team and a franchise as Joel Embiid is and you're as physically dominant as Joel Embiid is, I'm sorry, but you can't, through two postseasons, be shooting 43% from the field when you're a dominant seven-footer. He shot 42.8% from the field in these playoffs. Marcus Gasol sunned him on that end of the court. Mm-hmm. I just think they needed more from him. And again, maybe that speaks more to the fact that the Sixers were poorly built, and it's not fair to expect out of Joel Embiid, but I think they needed more of a two-way performance from him throughout the playoffs, and they... Quite frankly, they needed him to be on the court more and healthier. And again, that maybe not his fault, but it doesn't change the fact that those are the facts. They needed more from him. Yeah. So, I mean, I had it like, again, I'm not like differentiating in these tiers here, but I had him in a five person second tier, uh, which puts him in the top nine of my playoff And we, ha- we had where, him sixth coming in. Right. Where, where would you have him ranked? I'd probably have him based on my list here. Probably have him like nine or 10, 10 probably. Okay. Um, all right, so who else Who else you got? So we haven't mentioned Kyrie yet, who was also very disappointing, and it ended It ended terribly. He had basically one good series and then one terrible series. Yeah. Um, he was pretty awesome in that first round, but again, not against uh, a great team. But against but, a great defense. Yeah, against a great defense. And then honestly, once we get past that, I do think there's a bit of a drop-off. Like, 
Siakam was in a potential next year, but he's fallen off a bit in the conference finals. But then you can look at it as like, well, can you hold that against them when a lot of these other guys didn't even get to the conference finals to fall off and get exposed? Um, I think Brooke Lopez has had a couple big games where he's Absolutely. been super valuable to what the Bucks have done so far. I'd have him maybe in a next year once you get past that, you know, that five-man tier you were talking about that Embiid kind of rounds out. Other than that, Ben Simmons was... In another tier for me, but again, really kind of got exposed against the Raptors. Any of these names kind of ringing true for you? Jimmy Butler, I thought. Yeah, Butler, 100%. I thought he he really showed out in that Raptors series. He he was the guy that they needed to go to, basically, when when they couldn't get anything offensively. And when, and when he was off of the floor in that series against the Raptors, they really just couldn't reliably generate offense at all. I liked that they started using him in more pick and rolls. I thought he did a really good job as the ball handler in those pick and rolls to exploit the Raptors' defense. Uh, he he was their de facto point guard for a lot of that series, and I thought he handled that responsibility incredibly well on top of putting in a couple monstrous defensive performances. So he was absolutely in that group for me. Uh, and this Tier 3 for me was kind of complementary players who I think really stepped up and had all-around performances that stood out to me. So I had Butler, I had McCollum, I had Chris Middleton. Yeah, nice. I had Al Horford, um, who, you know, despite the fact that the Celtics got run off of the floor in games two through five, I don't think that was Horford's fault. You know, the Bucks really had to work hard, I think, to get Horford off of Giannis because he did do such a good job on him. And, uh, you know, he was as big a reason as any that the Celtics actually managed to put a bit of a scare into the Bucks by not only winning that game one, but then getting out to big leads in games two and three before the Bucks came roaring back. So I thought he was outstanding. Uh, another guy who was really, really good in that Pacers series who, you know, probably just didn't get credit for it because not a lot of people watched that series. Uh, Kyle Lowry was in this group for me. Again, just not really putting up the numbers, uh, but just doing a little bit of everything. I think his defense has been absolutely outstanding. I think he's done a wonderful job of running that Raptors offense. And we saw when Kawhi has been limited, Lowry has really been able to step up and take over the reins. And I think he's just been masterful in all facets of the game, especially in the conference finals. Um, Clay Thompson is there. Like, again, it's just hard for him to stand out in Golden State, but like he's done everything that they've needed him to do. And um, the last guy I had uh, rounding out my top 16 was PJ Tucker. Um, wow. Okay. I felt like... I had to give it up to another Rockets player because even though they lost in the conference semis, I, I still thought they had a really good showing against the Warriors. And I just, it was basically between Tucker, Chris Paul, and Eric Gordon, all of whom I thought were good and limited in their own ways. And I, I just ended up going with Tucker because I think he was their second most important player. Like what he was able to do for them defensively on top of hitting 45% of his threes, the games they won against the Warriors, I think they won because of his energy, his offensive rebounding, their ability to downsize and play him at the five. I thought he was so important to what they did. And uh, for the second postseason in a row, he had their the biggest on-off split on the Rockets. Uh, and it was even more pronounced in the Warriors series, just as it was last year. Yeah, no, I, I don't really have many arguments there. I'm glad you brought up Middleton because I was going to talk about him as well. And you talk about guys that have kind of started to establish themselves as playoff performers and 16-game players. Mm -hmm. Chris Middleton's last 20 playoff games, he's averaging 20 points a game on not a true shooting percentage, an effective field goal percentage of 60. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> okay, like, 
This guy's shot. He's had a couple bad games against the Raptors, but he was great in Game Four and just in general. The but last bad game. offensive games. Like right. His great def- his defense has not flagged yeah. at all. What he's done against Kawhi defensively has been awesome. Yeah. Um. And for him to for him to be this efficient offensively the last couple playoffs while also guarding most of the time the opposing team's best player because we spoke about the reasons why Giannis doesn't is the guy's a two way game changer in the playoffs and he's now he's doing it in the conference finals so like. Got his all-star appearance, is doing this, yeah. give him max money. <laughs> you think he's going to get a max? I think so. I Look, we can we can squabble over the fact that when you, obviously when you break it down and you look at the players, if you went by just who who are the top, you know, like championship type players, then he's obviously not in that right. in that class. But that's not the way the NBA works, right? Like It's, it's the whole thing with max contracts, right? It's exactly. The, the, if, the, the very best guys actually end up being undervalued. Exactly. If the Bucks don't give it to him, someone who strikes out in free agency is going to give it to him. And again, that team will be worse off than if they were giving Kevin Durant max money, but they'll be better off than a lot of the league's dreads. It's crazy to think, you know, we were talking at the end of the regular season about how Bledsoe had been the second best or the second most important player on the Bucks. I mean, that looks insane now. I think you, you could still make that argument. That was true during the regular season, but... I think the gulf has been so wide between them in the playoffs. It's kind of wild uh, the way that Bledsoe's tailed off and that Middleton, Middleton has risen. And, you know, you talked about his defense on Kawhi. His shot making has just been unbelievable. I mean, he is one of the best difficult shot makers in the league, I think. And he hits heavily con- contested threes off of the dribble. He was hitting everything in that game four. Like, that game four performance was legit one of the best games that I've seen in a blowout loss. Ever. Yeah. He was so if good. If it wasn't for Middleton, the Bucks lose that game by like 40. Yeah. Um, and he was like, he was doing everything. He was hitting shots. He was making plays. Like, uh, there was a great passing game for him. Defending Kawhi. Like, I mean, uh, he, he's been awesome. And um, so, yeah, he makes my top 16. And so, I had one, two, three, four, five guys who we ranked in the top 16 before the playoffs who fell out. That was Paul George, Kyrie, Gobert, Chris Paul, Westbrook, and Vucevic. Um, so six guys actually. PG like not really through any fault of his own. He I was just think that he clearly hurt. I think he was hurt and just and even then in that game five, I thought he was absolutely outstanding and obviously was not his fault that they lost that game or that series. Um, Kyrie, like you said, great first round, great game one against the Bucks, and then just completely fell apart. And uh, Gobert, again, like not really through any fault of his own, but they ran into a really bad matchup and one that sort of limited his impact defensively. Uh, I guess you could say we should have seen that coming, but I actually thought like in the last few games of that series, he was back to being the rim protecting menace that we know and love. Uh, it's just like the first two games of that series minimized him so dramatically that tough to reconcile that with the presumed two-time defensive player of the year that we were expecting to see. Chris Paul closed out the series against the Warriors strong. I thought that game six was like the best game that I've seen him play in a while. He looked like old Chris Paul again. And even when he wasn't really scoring particularly efficiently, he's still doing all the Chris Paul things defensively, like managing to gamble for steals without like totally taking himself out of the play. Like he's so canny and the way that he, he's able to to run that Rockets offense when James Harden was sort of chilling. Like even that miserable game five that he had when Harden just disappeared, like didn't take a shot for the final nine minutes. That was a bad game for Chris Paul, but he still ran their offense really efficiently down the stretch. So 
he's close, but ultimately I think still a bit of a disappointing playoff run for him. Westbrook, kind of a disaster. I, Westbrook was the most disappointing player in the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, and Nick Vucevic. <laughs> you know, I don't regret putting him 16th uh, because he did have such a magnificent regular season, and I think it was reasonable to expect some of that to carry over given the success that he'd had against the Raptors in the regular season, but... Yeah, uh, this was a tough, a tough showing for him. I just wanted to read the first line of your Vucevic blurb, right. just because I think it's so fitting. Orlando's hope of giving Toronto a competitive first round series hinges almost entirely on Vucevic. Yeah, yeah. It did. cue in the disappointing music, <laughs> like the like Price sad, is Right, sad you lost. trombone. Yeah, because uh, guess what? They didn't give them a competitive series because, as you mentioned, it all hinged on Vucevic. And I'm pretty sure if you look closely, you can still see Marcus Gasol carrying Vucevic's bones around in the conference finals right now because he buried him. Yeah, I mean, Gasol had a huge hand to play in that for sure. I also just think the Raptors' defensive strategy, you know, as much as anything else, was the reason he was able to be taken out of that series. And, and the fact that he just wasn't surrounded by enough offensive talent to make the Raptors pay for loading up on him, right? Like, ultimately... He didn't play very well, like, and he owned up to that. But I think that had almost as much to do with the players around him. You know what I mean? Like, they, they just couldn't really lift him up. And when that Raptors defense was basically tilted towards Vooch, there weren't guys who were able to knock down shots, you know? So, yeah, anyone else, um, anyone else on your list or anyone else you want to talk about? Surprises, disappointments? So I think we covered all the, the main guys, and I think, you covered the disappointments there. And, and like I said, I think out of all those guys, Russ was the most disappointing and, you know, brought to the forefront some concerns with having him making the money he's going to be making. The one guy we haven't talked about, and I don't think he, he didn't crack my top 16. He only made it one round. But in terms of just making a bigger name for himself that I want to talk about is Derek White. Yeah. Because he was super fun to watch and super effective in that series against Denver. Uh, the defensive work he did against Denver's guards and the offensive explosions he had in a couple games that I don't really think people saw coming from him yet. And it just bodes well for the Spurs' future. If they can get DeJounte Murray back healthy, that's a, that's a really fun backcourt of the future and a really good two-way backcourt of the future. Uh, two-way? You don't think so? I think the jury is definitely still out on that. Like, all this stuff about Murray developing a jump shot, that's still speculative right we haven't actually seen it yet so the potential is there I just think it's totally theoretical at this point and as much as Derek White has had some offensive explosions he was also totally neutralized in the last two games of that series Gary Harris completely took him out of the game and I I think like there are some things that he does really well I like his attacking off of the catch there are times when his jump shot has looked very solid there are times it's looked pretty unreliable so Again, I just think the jury is out. I think that backcourt is going to be monstrous defensively. And, you know, the, the all-defensive teams came out yesterday. White got some votes, but I thought he actually deserved to be on the second team. Both of those guys, I think, are going to be all-defense caliber guards for a long time. So I, I still think that that's really exciting. But as far as their two-way impact, I still need to see that before I can actually believe it. I think one of those two guys, honestly, both of them, might be most improved player favorite, or like co-favorites next year. I mean, there was a lot of talk coming into this year that the Spurs internally believed DeJounte Murray was going to win most improved player. And, mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't think there is any precedent for a guy winning it after just missing a whole year, but... Yeah. I just wonder, I mean, as it was, like, they scratched out, they were the sixth-ranked offense this year. And they did that while starting DeRozan 
and Aldridge together, two you know non-floor spacers. Occasionally, even starting Jakob Pertl yeah. with those two guys, and then Derek White, whose shot kind of came and went. And then they had Bryn Forbes in the starting lineup to give them some semblance of spacing. If it's Murray in the starting lineup instead of Bryn Forbes. I really do worry about where their offense is going to come from and just how congested it's going to be. I don't know if they can make that work. And we say that so often about the Spurs and their mismatched parts that somehow do end up working. But I guess working is all relative, right? Because the Spurs still got bounced in the first round. And like they had a competitive series against Denver. I think they ultimately overachieved this season, if anything. And I do think that they're like defensively, they're going to be a lot better next year. I just, I don't know if you can run out a starting lineup with three or potentially four non-shooters and make that work. Even for Greg Popovich, I just, I don't know. And so maybe, maybe all the stuff that they've been talking about, about his jump shot coming along and Chip England can work miracles. We've seen it before. So maybe that's real. I I just, um, I need to see it before I believe it. Yeah, and I'd agree with all that. And even when I talk about their potential as a backcourt of the future, I talk about that with the assumption that the Spurs will make other roster changes because right. I don't think you can go forward with both those guys and DeRozan, Aldridge, and Pirtle. I- but then what are, the, like, what are their other roster changes? They're not going to bench either Aldridge or DeMar. They could trade one of them. I suppose. I, I mean, yeah. DeMar's got one year left on his contract. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> it, trade him again? It would be tough for DeMar, no doubt. I'm sure Pop you know, would prefer not to do that to him, yeah. but... Just hope that R.C. Buford keeps him in the loop. Yeah, for real. Great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I'm actually, that's one of the teams I'm really interested in to see kind of what they look like next year because I was super excited about Murray coming into this year. And White basically ended up being that guy who took up the mantle of intriguing young Spurs. <laughs> intriguing young Spur who sort of came out of nowhere. They were both the number 29 picks in back-to-back drafts. And I think it could be really fun to watch them defend for the next few years and if if they can both nail down their jump shots i mean it's gonna be they they have a chance to be really really good i'll say that yep anyone else you want to talk about or you think we're good here i think we're good want to just uh throw to mina masood or chat with mina masood aladdin himself let's go talk to mina uh i'm disappointed i forgot to ask him if uh how disney would feel about us using a whole new world as our new pound the rock theme song but <laughs> second interview with him we'll get that question in all right here's our interview with mina masood What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download The Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. We're here with Mina Masood, the star of Disney's Aladdin in theaters tonight. Mina, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. <clears throat> we actually uh, saw the movie last week. It was oh, you great. Did. Yeah, yeah. We got uh, a little advanced screening. It was pretty good, man. 10 a.m. showing. Okay. All right. Yeah. Bright and early. Yeah. I was Don't actually... do that. No, you can. You can. It's great. Any time of the day. I was a little sniffly because I was sick that day, and I was a little worried when the uh, lights went up. People thought I was crying at the at the love story at the end. So I, was <laughs> I, was little... a, I was actually just crying. So. Yeah, exactly. Good balance there. We heard for the role, they did a worldwide search. Like, more than 2,000 people yeah. auditioned for that role. So what was that audition process for you like? How did you manage to wow them uh, and get that part? 
you know, I've been watching the film since since I was a kid, and uh, yeah, I saw the audition notice like everybody else. Uh, sent in a tape, didn't hear anything for four months. Um, so you know, I thought it was it was dead in the water, and then uh, we started hearing back. So um, it was a ride once once it got going. It was it was pretty insane. Were you doing your own parkour? Uh, I tried to do as much of it as I could. Uh, for insurance purposes, there were things like that really big crane jump um, that they didn't let me do because, uh, you know, only Tom Cruise does that kind of stuff. <laughs> but no, insurance purposes, uh, you know, we kind of had to see what I could do and, and, and what I couldn't do. So. so you're here, you're in town. Obviously, I know the world premiere is already through, but you're here for like a Canadian screening. Are you going to be at Raptors Bucks Game 6 on Saturday? Dude, I hope so, man. I was like... When they went down 2-0, I was like, all right, let's just let's just maintain home court, get our two games so that I can maybe go to game six. So I hope so. And, and if you go, are you going to be rubbing Nick Nurse's shoulders like Drake did? Or? <laughs> I don't know if I'll be that close, man. I don't know if I'm on that level yet. But just getting to be there, it'll be an insane atmosphere. As a fan in general, are you like more of a Drake emotional kind of like invigorated type or are you more the steely demeanor uh, no, I'm definitely emotional. I get pretty, I get pretty rowdy. I think on my Instagram story, you can see, so, like us at games. It gets, yeah, it gets wild. It gets wild. How long uh, have you been a fan for? Because I know you moved to Canada when you were pretty young from Egypt. So yeah. what, were, what, what were the roots of your Raptors fandom? Uh, I started watching really young when T-Mac was here, you know? So I've been a fan a long time. And then as I got older, I got more and more into it. Um, I played basketball growing up. I played in high school. And my first year of college, uh, I played in the OBA, so uh, I'm a big Raps fan. Is there a Raptors player who you would compare your game style to? Ah, that's a good question. A Raptors player. I don't know, man. I feel like Mo Williams when he was playing. Mo uh, Peterson? Yeah, Mo Peterson when he was playing. Um, he, was, he was my first my first favorite Raptor. Yeah? Yeah, yeah he was cool. He was a cool cat. He did a cat. lot of circus shots. Yeah, yeah, he was a cool cat. Yeah. No doubt. You talked about being the emotional type. What was your reaction when Kawhi, the four bounces and then in? Well, dude, I was, we were on the press tour, so I couldn't see it, but I, no one ruined it for me, and I managed to see the highlights. So it was insane, man. The way he ducked down like that to kind of see it go in, it was crazy. And Philly, honestly, Philly seems to be giving us, or seems to have given us a harder time than Milwaukee, which is why I kind of have hope for Milwaukee. So I don't know. Have you seen the mural for Kawhi's shot that they put up? Oh. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, store put it up. Uh, I think it was on Queen West. Like a painting? Yeah, yeah. Already? Like a, a mural, yeah, yeah. They've got Damn. the shot. Yeah. That's quick. Shot up there. Yeah, man, they're going to have to, hopefully hopefully he stays and we can keep it up. Pulling out all the stops. Yeah. Um, so you talked about being on the press tour when that shot happened. Presumably you were with Will Smith while that yes. press tour was going on. <laughs> a Philly guy. Did you manage to, to rub it in, give him some trash talk? Um, I let him cool down for a few days. And then uh, we, we talked a little bit about it um, when we were doing press a few days later. But he's he's excited for the future. He still has hope for the future. So um, we'll see. We'll was, see what was happens. Was he rattled by it though? Was he rattled? No, he wasn't rattled. No, he wasn't. He doesn't get rattled very easily. Disappointing because... Yeah, Toronto fans have been on the other end for a while, so yeah. I was hoping maybe a Philly fan would have felt what we felt. <laughs> no, no, he's he's been a Philly fan a long time, so he's he's just waiting for for the the moment. You talk about um, becoming a Raptors fan and watching for so long, and I know yeah. you're originally from Egypt. Do you kind of agree with the notion that I guess the Raptors, maybe more than any Toronto team or Canadian team, represents the city's diversity, the fan base here does? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they talk about it a lot. I mean, I watch now that I moved to L.A., I watch a lot of Stephen A. Smith and and uh, Undisputed. 
Um, so they talk about, I think on the decibel meter, Toronto, I heard, was third in the NBA or something. So they all know that the fans in Toronto are amazing. Everybody talks about how amazing they are. Do you have, like, what are some of your earliest memories as a Raptors fan? Is some, like, stuff that sticks out? I know this is kind of like the golden era. Yeah, but, yeah. But you're talking about cheering for the team when T-Mac was there. Do you remember Vince's missed shot against Billy? Yes, yeah, so I was going to say Iverson, definitely. I would say if there was any player I really looked up to growing up, it would be Iverson. I had, like, Iverson shoes. I have like these, I still have Iverson shoes that had like these cheetah skin strap Velcro on them. Pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that that was, you know, um, the golden age back then, I think is when we had a chance to go to the NBA finals. And, uh, Vince missed that shot. It's crazy seeing it come back full circle with Kawhi making the shot. It's like, it, it, it hurts though, because you're like, okay, he's the, he's the, best player we've had yeah, I think okay, uh, in the history of the Raptors and the fact that he might leave is like damn Kawhi don't leave man <laughs> don't just wait for me till I'm able to get courtside seats <laughs> enjoy that for a few years and then you can do whatever you want if we had a genie and three wishes we'd definitely waste yeah one you know I that. haven't uh, yeah I haven't I've been getting asked that question a lot and that would be one of my wishes actually courtside seats to the Raptors why haven't I thought of that oh before? I thought you were going to say and one for of your Kawhi wishes was stay. Kawhi to stay yeah yeah that but I'm being selfish like <laughs> I want courtside seats <laughs> what's your recruitment pitch if you're in a room with them you have like 10 minutes with you're Kawhi yeah um I would just be like listen um, you, you don't like a lot of media, you like to be left alone, you like to be in a quieter environment, and at the same time, you, you get hyped up playing in one of the best arenas in the world. So I, I think Toronto's the perfect place for him. Um, he can be a superstar, but he can be left alone here, he's not gonna be bothered. If he goes to the Clippers, man, I mean, trust me, I live in LA. There's people, there's probably people asking for autographs, crazy fans, I, Toronto's the place to stay. I think you've sold us. What's your prediction? Absolutely. He stays? Um, I think he stays. I, I think everything kind of makes sense to him staying. And the fact that he's hit that shot now, that obviously makes an emotional connection with you. I feel like if we would have got swept uh, by Milwaukee, which we're obviously not, and hope, you know, we're going to win, he could have left because it's like, damn, we got swept in the second round. Um, but I, I, I think he stays. Before we let you go, just give us a prediction of what happens the rest of the season. Um, I think we, I, honestly, I'm being, I'm gonna go out there. I think we win in six. Woo. I think we're gonna win in Milwaukee and then we come back game six and we win at home. And then I think we go to the NBA finals and uh, we'll see what happens. That's enough for me though. If we make it to the NBA finals, I'm not gonna get too greedy. I think we'd say the same. But. <laughs> Obviously, a big weekend for you. You got the premiere. Hopefully, you see that Game 6 win on Saturday. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, man. Thanks, coming guys. In. Thanks for having me.